0: Hey there, friends. You are listening to How to Live, the podcast, where we have real, meaningful, and fun conversations with people who inspire us. And sometimes we
1: just have them with each other. We are your hosts, Jess and Steph Dallon. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This is going to be an incredible episode. It sure is. And very
0: topical for the two of us because I recently went vegan. Must have been about
1: four months ago now, and are you vegan now? Well, I'm not, but just to catch everyone up to speed, I've been vegetarian for a while, but not fully vegan. And recently with the problems that Steph and me are having with our joints, I saw a nutritionist and she recommended that I basically go vegan and also cut out gluten and refined sugar. So like everything fun, all the fun stuff gone basically. So I'm trying to do that to the best of my abilities while also not compromising on my fun. So I'd say I'm probably like obeying those rules about 80% at the moment. A flexible vegan, if you will.
0: Plant-based. I like plant-based because I feel like plant-based implies a little bit more flexibility.
1: Yes, absolutely. If I want to have the cheese on my pasta, gluten-free pasta, then I will. Totally. You do you. And I think given
0: this recent shift in both of our diets, we were particularly interested in chatting to today's guest We have the incredible Tracy McQuirter on today's episode. She is an American public health nutritionist. She's a vegan activist and an incredible author. And Tracy helps people go vegan. And there can be a lot of issues associated with going vegan that the two of us have been discovering ourselves, like knowing how much nutrition you need and knowing how to fill yourself up. And there are also a lot of questions that people have if they're thinking about going vegan. You know, maybe you're wondering if it would be better for your health. So we chat to Tracy about all of this, and she also shared some amazing insights about the links between diet
1: and systemic racism. Stick around to the end of the episode to find out what we're going to be chatting about next week, and really do enjoy Tracy. <coughs> You are the vegan that we have all been waiting for, so we are so excited. We feel like you have so much to teach us. Well, thank you. We're very excited to get into it, but we wanted to start by asking you about your mother. You guys seem like you have the most beautiful relationship. You do so (laughs) much together. We wanted to ask you, what values did she teach you growing up that formed who you are
2: today? Thank you for that. My mother is the nicest, calmest, most loving person, very inspirational, very bright, brilliant, actually gorgeous, very humble. So she is my model for unconditional love and confidence And activism, feminism. I mean, just from a very early age. I'm the youngest of three girls, no boys. And she just instilled a level of confidence in us and a sense of justice in us and service, volunteering for people who were in need all of the time for holidays, just in general. So she's really a a true role model for me and, and my family for sure. She sounds like an incredible
1: person. And I think what really stood out to us with your story of becoming vegan 33 years ago in the late 80s, not only did you yourself become vegan, but you became vegan with your mother, which I think is a testament to how open minded she is, because even now my boyfriend has just decided that he is going to become vegetarian, which is awesome. I'm really excited for him but he was so scared to tell his parents. And I think that that's something that people still experience now where it's like the older generation is a bit more resistant to change. So the fact that it was so many decades ago now and she was all for it is super cool. So we'd love to hear from you about how you came to being vegan and what happened to you in college that led you to making that decision.
2: Sure. So just to underscore that part about my mother, she actually raised us in a way that was a little more health conscious when we were growing up in the 70s and 80s. So we were omnivores, but we had skim milk, whole wheat bread, no sugary cereals, no candy, no sodas. Obviously, we hated it. (laughs) But she decided with my oldest sister, when she was pregnant, With my oldest sister, her first child, she wanted to raise healthy children, and she started reading about how to do that. She planted the seeds, so I was familiar with what healthier food looked like and tasted like, but I didn't like it growing up. I liked sugary, salty, creamy, unhealthy things. So fast forward, and then my sophomore year at Amherst College, and our Black Student Union brought Dick Gregory to campus to talk about the state of Black America. This is 1986. And instead he talks about the plate of Black America and how unhealthfully most folks eat, how unhealthfully most Americans eat, but particularly he was talking to Black students. And Dick Gregory had become a vegetarian first in 1965 because of the practice of nonviolence during the civil rights movement that he extended to animals. And then in 1967, he went vegan for health reasons. And he was directly influenced by a woman named Dr. Albina Fulton, who was a naturopathic physician, a black woman who had opened the first vegan establishment on the south side of Chicago in the 1950s. So she helped him go vegan for health reasons. So by the time he came to my campus in 86, he had been a vegan for 20 years already. So instead of talking about the political, economic, social state of Black America, he talked about why we should be vegan. And for me, he connected the dots to social justice, to the civil rights movement, to culture, to the food industry, and the reasons why we eat what we eat beyond personal choice. And I was interested in all of these types of things anyway. I was having a paradigm shift in my consciousness, taking all of these courses on racism and sexism and imperialism, homophobia, all of these isms, right? And so for him to connect food to that was really incredible for me. i would never heard anything like that. So I immediately after the lecture gave up hamburgers and hot dogs for a week because I ate them all the time. And I should say that as part of his talk, he traced the path of a hamburger from a cow on a factory farm through the slaughterhouse process to a fast food restaurant to a clogged artery to a heart attack. And that really got me because I literally ate hamburgers every day. And my first year, the year before, I had gained 25 pounds because I ate nothing healthy. So you can imagine all of this was just amazing to me. And so I immediately gave up hamburgers and hot dogs. And then I was like, Dick Gregory's crazy. But I couldn't get what he said out of my mind. I called my mother, and my sisters, and I told them about it. And when I went home a few months later for the summer, I just decided to read everything that was available on vegetarianism. And my mother and my sister, who was home from Tufts University, she's a year ahead of me, we all read the same book. And at that time, this is 10 years before we had the internet. So you had to physically go to the library and read books. And we all decided to go vegetarian by the end of the summer. So my mom was already kind of on a healthier path. So this was not completely new to her. Just
0: such an incredible story. And the path that led you to making these dietary changes is one that we personally haven't often heard about. And I'm really interested in hearing more about what was it that Dick Gregory was saying was this link between racism, between injustices and the diet?
2: Well, basically he was talking about the fact that the USDA is in bed with and cahoots with the food industry. I mean, the fact that on the one hand, the USDA's role is to promote food, right? To promote the food industry. And on the other hand, the role is to promote health among citizens. But that was in conflict because the food industry determined that they made more money through processed packaged food that was unhealthy, right? You make more money from potato chips than broccoli, right? And so he talked about why, therefore, the food industry advertised more processed food, more packaged food, why there were more unhealthy ingredients in these foods because of profit and that it affected African-Americans more because not only was the food itself unhealthy, but we were targeted with fast food, with junk food. And they targeted us for a variety of reasons, but in a white supremacist capitalist society, This is part of systemic racism, right? With any industry, health, housing, education, politics, economics, the industry that has power is going to exploit and extract the folks that they think that they can continue to do that with, right? And that in this society is African-Americans. So food is no different. But we didn't know that. We thought we were just eating this way because we like the way it tastes, not because that's what we were taught, that's what was available to us. That's what we saw fast food places all over the place in our neighborhoods if we lived in low-income communities, not healthy places to eat. So that's the direct link, and that still exists today. And I will tell you that up until 1968, when Martin Luther King was assassinated, African Americans were actually eating more plant-based foods, more whole grains, more fruits and vegetables that were fresh fruits and vegetables than any other demographic in the country. And then when King was assassinated, there was a federal commission that determined that one of the best ways to help the community because of the uprising that happened after the assassination, one of the best ways to kind of quell it was to bring fast food places into the community. In cahoots with the fast food places so that young people could work at these places, right? So there could be economic opportunity for you. And some of the community leaders, seeing that this was a viable way for young people to be occupied, to be employed, welcomed it with open arms. And so within a year or two, with these fast food places proliferating large urban centers across the United States, that completely shifted so we went from eating the most whole grains and fresh fruits and vegetables to eating the most fast food that's by design so these are the kinds of things he's talking about that I knew nothing about and it blows my
1: mind to hear that that was a talk that you listened to in 1986 and these sorts of things are still going on today within America and towards the black community. And I know that since I've read your story, I started doing a bit more research about what's going on here in Australia. And I think that there is this similar theme throughout most countries that target the low socioeconomic areas with the types of things that you're talking about. So it's pretty important i guess to have these conversations and start to educate people around this especially because changing people's diets it's such
0: an empowering way of creating change it's such a powerful way of empowering people and we know you've done a lot of work around this in your life so we'd love to hear about how you came from caring about this yourself to creating this business out of veganism and activism through veganism
2: Basically when I came home from school when I graduated from Amherst in eighty eight, I came back home and you know, at that point I had been vegetarian and then vegan for about a year and a half. And my mom and my sister too and folks just started asking us how we were eating because this was very uncommon among our circles. And So we just started doing food demos for folks. We would bring our friends over and cook for them. And then people from churches would ask us to come and do demos at health fairs, right? So we were just getting requests to come and and show people how we were eating. And that's kind of how we started just showing other people how we were doing it. And then we had a friend who was an early adopter of the internet. And he suggested that we start a website. So we started a website in 1996, and between 1996 and 97, we created one of the very first vegan websites on the internet, period. I think there were four other ones at that time, and ours was also the first by and for Black vegans, and it was basically an online magazine. You know, we changed content once a week, we talk about all aspects of veganism, And we had thousands of subscribers, you know, folks were really interested. And so it was kind of organic, just people asking us, suggesting things. And we really loved doing it. I was a museum director working 60 to 80 hours a week. And my sister was a historian. And during our free time, this is what we did. We went around talking about veganism, showing veganism, working on our website. So Eventually, I decided that I wanted to pursue veganism more than I wanted to pursue museum management. And my father was disappointed because he thought I would become the youngest director of MoMA in New York. And I decided to change careers because I really loved this more, teaching veganism. So that's how it started for me.
0: That's incredible. I love that you really went after what you love because I think that's something that so many people feel pressure to do what other people expect of them. So it's really cool that you were able to really follow your calling in that way.
2: Yeah, thank you.
1: I think what's exciting about what you do is often we come at veganism from an animal welfare perspective, which definitely speaks to some people, but it doesn't necessarily speak to all people. And I think that by you highlighting the benefits that you could actually feel better if you started to adopt this diet and moved into this direction, I think that's a new lens that we haven't really explored that much. And I Think that that's a really clever way, also to get people into the movement because you know we're on the animal side, being like, yeah, more vegans, great. <laughs> so, what are the health benefits that you've identified by adopting this diet?
2: Can I step back and just comment about that for just one second? Because for me, it was circular. So you know how I said Dick Gregory started actually for compassion towards animals. My next semester, after I came home that summer, after my sophomore year that Dick Gregory spoke, I took my junior year away. I went to Nairobi, Kenya the first semester, and then Howard University the second semester. That first semester that I was in Nairobi, I wanted to be vegetarian, but I couldn't because I had signed up for the program months earlier as an omnivore. But as part of that experience, that six months, we went on safari with Samburu's for two weeks. So for two weeks, we were living with Samburu on the plains and we were watching animals in their domain, in their environment, studying them, seeing them, giraffes, gazelles, rhinos, lions, all the animals on the savannah. And then on our very last night, we ate at a restaurant called the carnivore. And at that time in 1987, hunters could kill animals on safari and then have them served to them at the restaurant. And so somebody had killed a gazelle-looking animal. I don't know if it was a gazelle. That's what I remember, or a zebra. And they roasted it whole over a pit, and they brought it out and put it on this table for us. We were 30 students and our guides and other folks part of the program, and they began to carve it from head to hook. And it was at that moment, that I decided that I would never eat another animal again. Now, I had also earlier seen a goat being born for the first time, and then they served goat to us the next day. I saw it killed and skinned and chopped up and made into stew. So I had never had these visceral experiences with animals before. So for me, it was circular. So it was for health reasons, but also for animal reasons.
1: I have goosebumps from that story. Just that visual that you gave is so powerful.
2: Yeah. I don't think that I'm actually alone in that. Some things can be circular. And when we started our website, we also started an animal rights group for people of color called Justice for All Species in the late 90s. So I was doing both. It was circular.
0: Yeah, and I think when you can tap into the compassion within yourself for other human beings, for animals, for yourself, it's all connected. You don't want to cause harm to animals and you want to be putting things in your own body that are going to truly nourish you. So it is all connected. So yeah, we would love to hear about what some of the biggest health benefits that you found that does come out of a vegan diet.
2: Primarily, the health benefits are that you can prevent and often reverse chronic diseases by up to 80%. So we're talking about preventing diet-related chronic diseases like heart disease, certain cancer, stroke, diabetes, unhealthy weight. There is nothing like plant-based foods in terms of something natural that you can do yourself to decrease your risk of dying from the top four killers in the country, which are these preventable chronic diseases, right? So you can reduce your risk of getting these diseases by 80%. There's nothing else that does that. That is an eye-opening benefit that people just are not aware of. So that's the first thing. And then these health benefits you can see right away, especially if you're eating a whole food plant-based diet, right? You're eating an actually healthy vegan diet. You can see your blood pressure decrease. Within weeks, you can see your cholesterol level go down within weeks. Your diabetes can be reversed within months. So people can see these results pretty quickly. And it's not rocket science. You know, you're not eating animal protein, saturated fat, and cholesterol. That's not coursing through your system all the time. You're eating fiber and and healthful nutrients. So those are the primary health benefits. And they continue. You know, if you're able to maintain and particularly eat a whole food plant-based diet, You can see your health maintained. And I'll use my mother as another example. She started in her 50s. She's now 83. She'll be 84 next month. No chronic diseases. The same healthy weight, same hourglass figure that she had in her 30s and her 50s. She exercises twice a day, six days a week, Pilates, weight training, aerobics, yoga, Tai Chi. She walks miles a day. She's in excellent health. I mean, how many women do you know at that age who can do that? And particularly in our communities, African American women, because we typically are going to have diabetes, hypertension, you know, high blood pressure for a number of systemic reasons, but also because of the way we eat. So, you know, I think people have an expectation that they're going to become sick and diseased when they get older. I have an expectation that I'm going to be healthy for the rest of my life. And that is very freeing because that means that I can do whatever I want and not expect to have physical limitations because of my health. What a
1: beautiful sentiment that we should all be able to feel. It sounds really magical, but at the same time, it should be the standard that we all hold for our lives. And in addition to all of this incredible work that you've done over the years, you're also this vegan lifestyle coach, which really excited us because even us ourselves on our own dietary journey, I've been vegetarian and Steph has been vegan for a little while now. I'm like only
0: two months in. So I'm like very excited to ask you a lot of questions here about...
1: (laughs) (laughs) So you have this eight week vegan transition program on your website. So we just Mm -hmm. love to pick your brain about all things, a vegan lifestyle and how to make the transition easier. So if someone is looking to become vegan, what are some of the first steps that they should take in terms of maybe doing some research and things that they should know?
2: The very, very first thing, that I suggest that people do is to be solid in why they're doing it. Before they swap out any meals, before they empty their pantries, go grocery shopping, look up recipes, the very first thing is to be solid in why you're doing it. Because we still live in a very meat-centered world, and there are going to be obstacles that come up all the time. And if you are not solid in why you're doing it, you are going to be swayed. You are going to be tempted. And so you have to have that foundation and then work backwards from there. You have to be solid in why you're doing it. And it's okay if it takes you a while to be solid in that. You know, it took me about a year of reading and reading and experiences. And then once that happened, there was no turning back. But it took time to get there. And so it's not a race. It's not a competition. It takes the time that it takes, but that is first. You must have that foundation. And if that means that you have to do reading about why it's healthy for you, if you have to do reading about why it's healthy for the planet, if you have to do reading about the cruelty to animals, whatever it is for you, if you have to watch documentaries, get solid so that you are not going to turn back. Now, I'm not saying you don't slip up and you have some cheese. You have something here and there, but then you just start again the next day. But it doesn't mean that you have abandoned your desire to be vegan. That's number one. And I don't work with people if they're not there. And, you know, that's just me after 33 years of doing this. I meet people where they are, but they got to want to be vegan. (laughs) So that's the first thing. Yeah, that's
0: great advice. And it makes so much sense in any change that you're going to bring into your life or in starting a business, even, you know, having your why is the most important thing. So that makes total sense.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think that after that, I just look at whether people have health issues that they're dealing with, whether they have weight issues that they're dealing with what their environment is like, what access to food they have, what access to grocery stores do they like to cook, you know, just personally, what is this person's world? And how, based on their world, can I make it easier for them to fulfill this goal that they have? And what do they like to eat? How can we veganize those things that they already like to eat? So that, you know, they are learning new things, but it's not like a completely new language. So, you know, I take steps. So, it, you know, it's really personal to the person, depending on what that context is for them. And then I would create a plan for us to get from A to Z. And I also have an eight-week curriculum. So, you know, as Dick Gregory gave all that knowledge, I'm all about information and knowledge. And so while people are physically eating more and more and more vegan, I'm also giving them information based on what their questions are, but also based on helping them with this foundation. I love what you said there that, you know, it's not totally
0: learning a new language. It's just like you're bringing in some new words. You're learning some new words. You're swapping out some of your old words. That makes it seem so much more doable where, you know, if you have bolognese pasta, you're just swapping out the meat for the tofu mince or whatever it is so that you're still eating familiar meals. It's not totally overhauling your whole diet.
1: And I think to be so systematic and planned about it is really clever. And hearing you talk about it sounds quite obvious, but to be honest, I never even thought about it before. And I was pescatarian for a bunch of years. And then I became vegetarian and I just dropped all the fish and I did no research. I knew nothing and I didn't plan anything. And I ended up with all of these body issues because I knew nothing about nutrients because I had always just relied on my fish in my day to give me what I needed. And then Mm -hmm. I feel like by doing this planning, you're avoiding a lot of mistakes that people often make. And I know I have. So what are some of the mistakes that you see made and that can be avoided through this planning
2: and knowledge? Right. The nutrients that you're talking about is key. I mean, that's probably the biggest thing. People have really not a real sense of what they should eat instead of meat or what they should eat instead of dairy.
1: Yeah, I think I was just cutting it out. I was just like, I used to eat this meal with fish. Now I'll just eat
2: it without. You know, the first part of the curriculum is vegan 101. So actually telling people what the nutrients are that they need to get and where they get them, what types of plant based foods have them the most. So we talk about beans and nuts and whole grains and dark leafy greens and other vegetables. We talk about colors and what kinds of nutrients they can expect from different colors of food. What a balanced meal actually looks like, how much protein you want to aim for, how many cups of vegetables, how many cups of grains, how much fruit. All of that I have outlined so that they have this basic knowledge, right? And then we figure out what that looks like for them based on their taste. So what does a balanced meal for breakfast look like for you based on what you like to eat? What does a balanced lunch look like? What does a balanced dinner look like? What do snacks look like for you? But the foundational information about nutrition and what is healthy, what a balanced meal looks like, how many servings of the different types of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, and nuts you should have as a healthy adult, particularly as a woman, is pretty standard. So it's just deciding which types of those foods you're going to eat.
0: Yeah, I think protein is the biggest one that for me has been really hard because I'm constantly like, oh, i got to be eating the beans. i got to be eating the chickpeas and all that stuff. But then I started actually reading the labels on my different things. And I was like, oh, my sourdough bread does have some protein in it. My pasta has some protein in it. Are those the same kind of proteins when I'm reading them on like the pasta packet and that kind of thing?
2: Yeah, absolutely. All plant-based foods have protein, even fruit, just different amounts. Getting enough protein, if you're eating a varied, healthy, vegan diet, whole food, plant-based diet, you are usually going to get more than you need. You know, we have research now that shows that the average omnivore to the average vegan gets 70% more protein than the recommended daily allowance. So it's truly a non-issue. But you have to have a sense of well, what does that mean if I have a smoothie for breakfast? What am I going to put in it? You know, a half a cup of nuts or am I going to have that half a cup of nuts as a snack later? Am I going to put almond butter in there? Am I going to use almond milk? Am I going to use flaxseed meal? For lunch, if I have a wrap, what am I going to put in it? Am I going to put chickpeas in it, black beans in it? Am I going to use tofu, seitan, tempeh? If I have a stir fry for dinner, am I going to put cashews in it? So almonds in it, what kind of vegetables, what kind of grain, you know, is it going to be quinoa because I need to make sure I had enough protein for the day. And these are all based on also the type of food that you like. So it's not hard. It really isn't. It's just like eating as an omnivore is second nature to you. It becomes this way when you're a vegan. I just had a memory come up for me. And I feel like
1: maybe people listening to this might be listening to you and thinking like oh that sounds quite exhausting to have to think about your food so much and I definitely felt that in the beginning so I just wanted to touch on the fact that what you're talking about is only the beginning because now I have been vegetarian for about a year and a half and I don't even think about this stuff it does become second nature so if it's feeling overwhelming it's only just learning to do something new and and then once you do it, it does just become natural. You no longer have to think about your food as hard as we're talking about it right now. That's exactly
0: right. Do you know what's so interesting about it? When I'm listening to this, I'm thinking about now how I've never been aware of what I'm putting in my body before. I was just the kind of person that I was pescatarian for a really long time, but I didn't really have to think about the nutrients and I didn't know what I was putting inside my body. But when you're talking about thinking about the cashews and thinking about the almond milk and all of that, It's actually incredible in a way that you're forced to think about what you're putting in your body because now when Renan pulls out the fake store-bought meat that he's got, I'm like, "Mm, well, what's really in this? Because I actually know now every single thing that I'm putting in my body and I can feel really good about it. And I was the kind of person that just got sick all the time. And I was actually forced to change my diet a year ago because I got sick and every food was making me sick. I was forced to just basically have fruit and vegetables and I have never felt so good in my life. And once you feel that, I can't imagine not wanting to know what goes inside my body. And
2: that's how we nourish ourselves. Exactly. And it's really interesting that you don't think about it as an omnivore usually. It's just when you're introduced to something new or you have a vegetarian or vegan friend, and then all of these things that you've heard, well, what about your protein? Well, what about this? And what about that? But you don't think about it for yourself at all. And a lot of people are walking around in a state of unease, disease, not great health, and don't realize it. I mean, you realize it, but a lot of people are not quite there, but they're not healthy either but they don't know it until they get healthier and they feel the difference mm. and they feel that pretty quickly. Yeah. And I hope people listening, whether or not
0: the actual aspect of vegan is resonating with you right now, I hope it's just creating this question in your brain of like, oh, what am I putting in my body? Because only good things can come from us all actually considering that. Yeah. I also wanted to ask you about vitamins and supplements. Is that a big thing that you get people to introduce in when they're changing to a vegan diet?
2: What I ask people to do is to get their blood work done or if they've recently had their blood work done to find out what nutrients they may or may not be lacking. So I don't automatically recommend supplements because, you know, obviously the best way to get your vitamins and minerals is through food. So I think that people should be doing this anyway, but it's something that people should try to do once a year. It's just to find out what their levels of certain nutrients are. And if they're lacking, the first line of defense is food. But if it's something acute, then they can do vegan supplements. But it's based on the individual and what they may need. Now, there's the B12 issue, right?
1: Ugh, our dad always annoys me about that. (laughs)
2: Yeah. I mean, the bottom line is that B12 is something that omnivores and vegans alike should be tested for. So as part of that blood work that you get, find out what your level of B12 is. Just because you're an omnivore does not mean that you're getting enough B12. Just because you're a vegan does not mean that you're not getting enough B12. Because you can get B12 in food nutritional yeast, you know, or fortified food in other ways, but omnivores are deficient in B12 as well.
1: And then there's also this correlation. I think that maybe people sometimes get confused, especially now that the word vegan means healthy. And like Steph touched on before with the store-bought fake meat, which I love. (laughs) I did have the bolognese last
0: night that was made with the store-bought meat and it is really yum. But if I took the time to make it myself, I think it would be even more yum.
1: So we wanted to ask you, is making fresh food, is that a part of Your mantra around being a healthy and whole vegan rather than the store bought stuff that just has the vegan sticker but is kind of just as processed as whatever else is on the shelf?
2: Yeah. You know, whole food, plant based is healthiest. And having gone vegan when I did in the 80s meant that although there weren't as many options as there are now, what we ate was healthier because there were fewer options, we cooked more for ourselves. So that is what I've continued to do. I usually cook for myself and it's whole food plant-based. My cookbook is whole food plant-based. Most vegan cookbooks are not, but that's just because that's the way that I eat. Now there is processed vegan plant food available in a lot more places And because veganism is more and more popular around the world, there's this gold rush, I call it, to make money off of this trend and to create new different types of packaged products. That's what the food industry did with omnivore food. That's what's happening with vegan food. If there's a profit and there can be packaged processed food made so that these food industries can make profit, they're going to do it. It doesn't mean that the food is going to be healthy. It's going to be higher in fat, salt, and sugar. It's going to have chemicals in it, synthetics in it. So it's healthier, but it's not the healthiest. And a lot of people need these foods to transition. They want the taste of meat and dairy. I did when I started. Like I said, I ate hamburgers and hot dogs all the time. So in the beginning, I wanted that there weren't a lot of options. So a lot of times I was making my own and I was making them out of whole beans and rice and that kind of thing. So there is a place for it, but, you know, I call it bridge food if you kind of need that to cross over, but it's not a place to stay to maintain good health.
0: Mm, That makes sense. And I think for people that do have the time and the money, You can make most of these things yourself. I've looked up healthy vegan sausage recipes. If you can make them, great. But it's not like we need these foods and definitely makes a big difference to not be eating the packaged stuff.
2: And some are healthier than others. The sausages and the burgers, some are made with ingredients that you would make at home. So there are black bean burgers, there are mushroom burgers, there are vegetable burgers, and they're made with food that you would have at home but it's convenient for you to just buy it. Do that. Keep it in your fridge. Keep it in your freezer. There's nothing wrong with that. So check the ingredients because not all packaged food, just like frozen vegetables, there are some healthier packaged foods out there that are there for convenience. The majority of them are not, but there are some, you know, and that's fine. So are there certain things we should be looking at when we look at
0: the ingredients? Because I've been trying to rate ingredients, but I'm like, I don't know what half this stuff is. Or is that when you go, okay, Red flag. (laughs) Exactly. You know that. (laughs) If
1: you can't pronounce it.
2: Yeah. If it's a paragraph long, then you don't want that or you don't want that on a regular basis, right? You want stuff that you have in your fridge as ingredients for food that you would buy at the store for sure. And then, you know, just in terms of fat, salt, and sugar, those are the things that you want to be very low or no in your packaged food.
1: Very low or no. I like that. Mm -hmm. There's another question that I was so excited to ask you around being pregnant and children because I'm seeing this now with my friends as they start to be interested in having kids and a lot of them are vegetarian or vegan And so, you know, meat eaters love to say, like, they couldn't keep that while they're pregnant, could they? And they couldn't (laughs) feed that to their kids, could they? And I actually don't know the answers. So I'm always like, I guess, I don't know. Uh, But I'd love to hear from you. Is it possible to become pregnant and maintain vegan and all that stuff? And feeding kids a vegan diet
2: and being healthy? Absolutely the best thing that you can do for your kids as a matter of fact to have a vegan pregnancy and to raise your kids vegan absolutely it's healthy for so many reasons so if someone is pregnant and they decide that for whatever reason they can't be vegan anymore that's fine but it's not because by default it's going to be unhealthy for their child it's actually healthiest for your child to be plant based from day 1 just the same as you are as an adult not only are vegan children healthier, they get fewer illnesses. They also tend to have higher IQs. They also tend to be more emotionally developed than kids who are eating the unhealthiest food. And that makes sense because if you're eating a lot of food that's high in fat, salt, and sugar, high in dyes, you know, that can contribute to ADHD and a whole number of illnesses. So all you need to do is consult a pediatrician, preferably a pediatrician that is familiar with raising children vegan and advising you, or is a vegan pediatrician herself, or find some information. I created with Farm Sanctuary an African American Vegan Starter Guide that's free online, africanamericanveganstarterguide.com, and we have a page that was written by a vegan pediatrician who raised all of her children vegan. And we have a mom who's a chef who is vegan and has raised her children vegan for that very reason, because I wanted folks to hear from a pediatrician and a mom about why this is the best thing to do.
0: That's so incredible. Just really amazing to hear those facts. And I think that there's a part of it that's so important. Is that there's so much judgment out there. There's so much judgment, like, oh my god, she's raising her kids vegan. That's disgusting, or whatever it is. And and there's judgment the other <coughs> yeah, way. Yeah, those poor kids. You yeah, those poor kids. There's judgment the other way as well by the vegan community of people eating meat still. And I feel like it just kind of circles back to that conversation we were having on compassion and just understanding that everyone is where they are in their life for a reason and. Change never comes from shaming people. It comes from inspiring people. So hearing those facts and seeing children grow up on these plant-based vegan diets and the health benefits that come out of them, that will speak for itself. And I just feel like there's no room in any of this conversation for the judgment.
2: Absolutely. There are books that have been written about raising children, vegan, vegan pregnancy in the States. The American Dietetic Association has position papers about vegan pregnancy and raising children vegan. I mean, the information is there. And there are lifelong vegans. I mean, there are people who are thriving, who have never had meat or dairy. Friends of mine, my age, (laughs) who somehow are healthy. Oh, just look at your mom. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, starting from infancy, truly lifelong. So it's definitely healthy and doable, for sure. I love to hear that. That's so amazing. My niece
1: is being raised vegan and she'll be 15 next month. There you go. She's the shining example. (laughs) Absolutely. We were excited to ask you about the new project that you started this year to celebrate. Was it the 10-year anniversary of your book? It's called the 10,000 Black Women Go Vegan Movement. Can you tell us about it? It just sounds so inspiring and we're excited.
2: Yeah, thank you. So this is the 10th anniversary of my first book by Any Greens Necessary, and that was the first vegan diet book for Black women. And that helped lots of women go vegan, thousands of women. I'm very proud of it. Very influential book. And for the anniversary, I wanted to do something big. And so I came up with the idea of of helping 10,000 Black women go vegan in one year, something that's kind of big and bold and necessary. So obviously, I started this before the coronavirus, before COVID-19. So I soft launched it in February, COVID happened, and I was planning to officially start in May. So I pushed the start date back to October. And it's an online program, but because we were in the throes of the truly unknown then, we didn't know if people would actually be able to go out and shop normally especially going from omnivore to vegan and just doing something new in the midst of this virus. So we pushed it back to October. We now have almost 6,000 women who have signed up. So I'm really expecting that we're going to not only reach our 10,000 by October, but surpass it. And of course, people can continue to sign up after October. So the response has been fantastic and it's a free program. So, you know, we're basically going to go vegan together for 21 days in October, 21 days in November, 21 days in December. So there'll be vegan recipes, a meal plan done for you, grocery shopping list, nutrition tips, meal prep tips, cooking videos, and we'll be doing it together online. And I'll be having webinars to answer questions that people have as well. And in the meantime, when people sign up now, they get a weekly Wellness Wednesday newsletter from me by email every week with nutrition tips and recipes. And immediately when they sign up, they get what I call a a weekend vegan two-day jumpstart. And that's eight recipes, a meal plan, done for you grocery shopping list, and meal prep tips. So they can go vegan themselves right away and inspire themselves to see that they can do this. And that's an immediate download that they get.
0: Just incredible. I think it's (laughs) so serendipitous that you did plan it for this year because this is such a big year of change for everyone everywhere in the world. So what a time for this. Congratulations on the program. And we can't wait to see the incredible success that you have with it. We would love to ask you some quick fire questions to wrap up. Sure. What is your go-to meal to cook for
2: dinner? I have two, uh, stir fry. I love, love, love uh, stir fry with lots of colorful veggies with almond butter sauce over black rice with either almonds or cashews or tofu or tempeh. And I also love lasagna. So either one of
1: those. Yum, delicious. Mm.
2: What TV show are you
1: watching at the moment?
2: Queen Sugar and Green Leaf. And the last Netflix movie that I watched was The 100 Foot Journey, which is a foodie movie about an Indian family that moves to France and the son is a chef and it's a love story, a rom-com. And I love, 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 love Indian food. I've watched that like five times. Amazing. What is
1: your favorite plant-based milk? Cashew milk. Ooh, Ooh, I haven't
2: haven't tried it. No. You know, I don't drink it. I only use it for recipes. I don't use it in my smoothies or I don't have cereal, that kind of thing. But I'll use it for something like ice cream or macaroni and cheese, something like that. Mm, Yum. What does the perfect day off look like for you? Oh, my gosh. Such good questions. So the perfect day off for me is going to a museum, going to see a new exhibit, then going to a nice vegan restaurant, then driving around at night, looking at the stars with a friend. I love doing that. Getting out, walking around the monument, something like that. That's a perfect day off for me. Mm, Sounds lovely. Yeah.
1: And lastly... What is the best vegan meal you've ever eaten out? That's
2: hard. (laughs) That is hard. I agree. I have to say, so for my 40th birthday, I treated myself to three weeks in India. Any of those meals were the best meals I've ever had. Authentic Indian food. Mm. But also in Seattle, there's a vegan Thai restaurant. And I had given up Thai food when I became vegan because I didn't know about the fish sauce. And I'd never been to a vegan Thai restaurant. So when I found out about this restaurant, when I was there for a book talk, I ordered like three vegan dishes and they were divine. Thai is like one of my favorite foods. So I haven't been to Thailand yet. It's on my bucket list. So Thai or Indian. Mm, Excellent. I love that.
0: Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge. This has just been
2: incredible. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Oh, that was such a good
1: one. I feel like I learned so much from Tracy and I'm feeling a lot more confident about all my nutritional info. So Tracy's 10,000 Black Women Go Vegan campaign is starting in October. So if you'd like to sign up to that, you can go to buyanygreensnecessary.com and sign up there. If you did like this episode, we would just love to ask you to help us
0: get the word out by sharing this episode with a friend that you think would really, really love to hear it. And make sure you do come on over and hang out with us on all our favorite social places. It's Instagram at how to live the podcast
1: and our Facebook group is how to live the podcast. Next week right here, it's going to be the two of us chatting about a four day work week, which is something that we are starting to trial with our team. It's very, very exciting. Take a listen.
0: Human beings aren't machines. Actually, if we had a day extra off per week, because why does it need to be this classic five days? If we had a day off extra per week, we would not only be more productive in those other days, but we would also be happier. And placing an emphasis on being happy and people's emotional health is a really important aspect of work and productivity. We will see you next week right here for our very first four-day work week. Can't wait to chat about that. Have a beautiful week and we will see you later. Bye.